So today we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4 and kind of fixating on Philippians 4.13, the verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, and in general, you know, it, it's, it's kind of a commercial verse. We, we see it often um, on t-shirts or on coffee mugs. I've seen it on coffee mugs where it's like, I can do all things through Christ, open parentheses, and coffee, close parentheses, which strengthens me. Um, and it can be seen as something that um, we take rather flippantly. Like, we'll, we'll say it before sports, events, and certain things. But honestly, I feel that the reality that we're willing to put it on t-shirts to remind ourselves of it, the re reality that we're willing to put it on coffee mugs, the reality that we're willing to recite it to ourselves whenever we face something challenging or hard that's, or, or something big in our life, just expresses that there is truth in it that we find and we're, we desire to grasp onto it. In a world that is uncertain, that often has doubts and fears, we desire for something that's substantive, that'll hold. And so we often recite this verse to ourselves. So my contention is not that we have misunderstood this verse. I think in a lot of ways we've gotten this verse right. My contention is that we haven't come to terms with the deeper and ancient truth that Paul is actually expressing in this passage. So let's dive in. Now, a lot of theology, right, and a lot of theology, honestly, is um, situating where and who the text is meant for, what, what was actually said back then, because this is 2,000 years ago. What was said back then and to whom it was said, and how does it apply to us and affect us now? So that movement, that translation is the theology. So we're going to be diving into that theology. What, is, what did it mean back then, and what does it mean now? So let's, let's sit, situate ourselves a little bit in the context. Right? This is a letter. It's an epistle. It's, it's written to the church at Philippi. Um, Philippi was in what was considered back then Asia Minor. Now it's modern-day Turkey. Um, this was a letter written by the apostle Paul to the church at Philippi. Um, the church at Philippi was planted by Paul himself. Um, he personally taught them. He personally raised up leaders. He was the one who came in there and actually preached the gospel to them. He's a spiritual father for many in this church. He, he taught them how to walk in Christ, how to actually be a Christian community. He's heavily invested in this church. This letter was also written from a prison in Rome. So Paul is over 600 miles away from Philippi, and, and, and 600 miles, not in the sense of we can get on a plane and fly 600 miles in a couple hours, but 600 miles in an in ancient Greco-Roman era where it would take weeks, even months on end to get that far. And, and Paul is in prison because he's been arrested and he's been charged. He's appealed that charge to Caesar. And so he's been brought to Rome he has his charges waiting, he has his trial waiting, and he doesn't know whether or not he's going to be released, whether or not he's going to, you know, just be continually be imprisoned. He doesn't know if they're going to do it, you know, the whole Peter and John Acts chapter 4 style of like beating him up and then censoring him and saying, don't say anything about Jesus anymore and then letting him out. Or he doesn't even know if, he, if he's just going to be executed. And if Paul doesn't know that, the church of Philippi definitely doesn't know what's going on. 
So put yourselves in a church member, a churchgoer of a person from the church of Philippi. Your spiritual father, the one who's personally invested in your life and showed you how to walk in Christ, what it means to be a Christian, who proclaimed the gospel to you, is now imprisoned by the same empire, the same empire for all, for all physical purposes, right, that crucified your savior. And you don't know what's going to happen to him. And, and, and whatever happens to him will actually take weeks, possibly months to get back to you. And, and, and at this point, the people are anxious, they're fearful, they're worrying for Paul, which is expressed in verses um, 10 and 14. It says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. And verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. These people are worried for Paul and, and they're reaching out. And Paul, as a good spiritual father, is emboldened and heartened by this. Paul's like, I get it. And honestly, it, it, it makes my heart rejoice that you would actually even consider me. In, in ancient Rome, to be imprisoned was, was a public shame. It was a cause for shunning. And yet these people were, were willing to reach out to Paul and say, how is it going? What can we do? And Paul's like, I know you'd want, you want to be here. You want to bear my burdens. But here's comfort. And so Paul does the spiritually fatherly thing to do, and he provides them a form of comfort. He gets to the next verse. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul is saying, look, I faced a lot of things in my life. And if, if you read 2 Corinthians, you'll find that, yeah, he faced a lot of things in his life. But even through all of this, actually living through all this, following God in and through all of these missionary journeys, he's found this secret to be true. No matter what I face or what circumstances I may be in, in Christ, I can do all things. In Christ, I can face anything. And the key to this ancient truth is that in Christ, it's, it's not that I can face it on my own. It's not I can face it, you know, with a little help. It's in Christ, I can live through this. I can work through this. Even in imprisonment in a Roman jail, I can face this in Christ. What's the, the importance of the in Christ bit? In Christ, all of the promises of God are fulfilled. There is not one promise of God for the people of God that is not fulfilled in Christ. Your redemption only happens because of Christ. Your reconciliation, you know, as, as scripture says, we were at enmity with God. We were at warfare with God. And yet now he has reconciled us to himself in Christ so that we are sons and daughters sitting at his table. Your re redemption, your restoration, your, your reconciliation, your hope, everything that God has promised you is filled in Christ. Secondly, this. Um, God's purpose and plan for his people is corporate, right? That redemption, that restora restoration, that reconciliation. But it, it, it's, it's also personal, 
that purpose for God is actually personal to your life. It, it reminds me of, of, of Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, chapter, uh, Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. So, so we'll, you know, as Protestants, we're willing to, you know, fixate on the verses 8 through 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Sorry, KJV, that's how I learned it. Um, and then you get to verse 10. For we are his workmanship. God has, has planned and formed our lives. We, we are created with our personalities, with our talents, with our gifts, with our limitations by God. We are his workmanship, created unto, unto Christ Jesus. We are created by Christ, for Christ, in Christ. For we are his workmanship, created unto Christ Jesus, to do those good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God, even before the foundation of the world, get this, before time, which is a weird thing to say, but before time, God already had a purpose and plan for your life and all the way down to the minutia of the good works that you have to do today. So what is Paul saying here? There's the big purpose and plan for God to redeem his people and then there's the particular purpose and plan for your life in Christ. If God would not withhold his only son his one and only son, to accomplish that purpose of redeeming you, what will he withhold whenever you face things in your life? What would he withhold from, you, from him accomplishing those good works and that purpose in your life? And Paul has lived this out. Paul has been a missionary for years on end. He's followed God wherever God has led him. He has done everything that God has told him to do and he stayed away from things God has told him not to do. There, there's that point where, where Paul is, is desiring to go into Asia. He wants to go to be, to, to be missionary in Asia and yet God says no and God closes a door which properly kind of deflated um, Paul for a little bit. But then he has the Macedonian dream and God directs him to go into Macedonia to reach the people there. Paul follows God wherever God's called him. And he's learned in and through life, in joy and in sorrow, in abundance and lack, when everything was going for him and when everything was going against him, that whatever God has purposed, whatever God has called him to that day, God will provide for. So, what does that ancient truth look like today? Brothers and sisters in Christ, we we are facing very uncertain times. Times where we're anxious. Times where we have fear. Times where we're going through a lot of loss. Times where we just don't know two, three steps ahead of us. We don't even know two, three steps behind us what it looked like. It's like we're walking through a high country fog. You know those random fogs that come in? And it's so thick that we can't really see what's ahead of us or what's even behind us. We don't even know what normal life possibly even looked like anymore. And yet, even amidst this, we are still called to good works. Even amidst this, God has a purpose and a plan for a life. And it, it, it can be as, as simple as your husband. So your call, according to Scripture, is to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. It could be your call to be a good parent, for your children. It could be the call to be a good employee who serves, you know, their coworkers and who serves, you know, their employee, their, their uh, customers. It could be a, to, to be a good student. It could be caring for a loved one who can't really take care of themselves right now. It, it could be many different things that God has called you to do today 
But right now it's hard. Right now, even though, so, so I'm married, see, I'm married. Um, right now, what does it look like to, to truly love my wife as Christ loved the church amidst all this stress, amidst all this uncertainty, amidst all of, of, of this doubt and fear of what may come ahead? What, what does it mean to, to be a good parent when, 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 you're, when your kids um, didn't finish their school year like they thought they would, have gone through summer kind of isolated, and now are facing at least nine weeks where they're not going to see their friends? What does it look like to, to, to be a, a good worker, a good servant um, in, in whatever business or capacity you're in when you don't know what the future holds financially? What, what, what does it mean to be a good care? Like all these different things. What does it mean during these times? And just be straight up, it's hard. Paul knows this. Paul's faced it all. Paul, Paul has gone from being, as he said, a Jew of the Jews, a, a high-ranking Pharisee, an up-and-comer, the one who studied under Gamaliel, right, the master rabbi of his time, to meeting Christ and being called to be a missionary and then basically making tents for a living to pay for his missionary work. Paul's seen the joy of establishing the church at Philippi and seeing people come to faith and walking in Christ and having their lives transformed He's also been run out of cities, run out of towns for preaching the gospel. Paul faced being shipwrecked a couple times and having to forage on a, on a remote island. Paul faced being stoned to the point where the people who were stoning him basically stopped and were like, hey, hey, hey. Like someone was about to chuck a rock on, on, on Paul and someone was like, wait, wait, wait. I think he's dead. And they kicked him. They're like, yep, yep, this one's dead. And they walked away. Paul faced it all, but even and through all of that, what came to his mind over and over again is that before, before even the foundation of the world, God had a purpose and plan for him and that God would provide for that purpose and plan no matter what he faced. Even, even if it seems insurmountable, even if you really just don't know what to do, as we follow Christ, if we continue to seek his face, God will provide the way forward. To close, Okay, I say to close, but whenever any pastor or any preacher says they're about to close, they're not really going to close. So I'm not going to lie to you. This is kind of like the beginning of the closing. It's not the actual closing. It kind of reminds me of, um, what is that? Jesus feeding the 5,000, right? So, so Jesus, you know, the disciples are following Jesus, and they're kind of just walking along, listening to him teach, and all these different things. And, you know, Jesus will teach different things, and, and the disciples will be like, yeah, that sounds really good. I didn't understand the other five parts to your story, but that one thing, that one thing I, get, I, I got, so I just don't know what this means. And so they're following Jesus, and Jesus is teaching, and all these crowds are coming, right? And, and, and about 5,000 men, not even including the women and children, which, which means it could have been double the number, but you have 5,000 men sitting there, and he Jesus finishes preaching and, and teaching them, and then the people are about to go home, um, and then Jesus looks at them and says, and thinks, well, th they're going to faint on the way home. They, they haven't eaten all day, and, and they've come from miles on end to, to hear me teach. So he looks at his disciples, and he's just like, hey, feed them, to which the disciples are, are honestly probably laughing and are like, <laughs> right? You want us to feed them? 
Oh, you're serious? You want us to feed them? To which I think it's James. James is just like, we could, we could earn a whole month's wages and not be able to feed all these people. And so Jesus says, what do you have? And, and they're like, well, we have a couple loaves of bread, some fish. And Jesus, you know, blesses it. And we know the story. Um, the miracle happens and the fish and the, and the bread is multiplied and everybody's fed. And we're, and we're willing to fixate on the fact that Jesus feeds them, right? Jesus multiplies, and, and that's true. It's called Jesus feeding the 5,000. But what did Jesus command the disciples to do at the beginning? Feed these people. It was an insurmountable thing. And yet what at the end did the disciples do? They fed the people. Today, we face insurmountable things. We, we face things that we just don't know how to comprehend or understand, and yet we're called to do these good works. We're called to, to, to live for God, to be good husbands, to be good parents, to be, be, be good children, to be good workers, to be, to, to be good caregivers. And right now, it can seem insurmountable and hard. But that which God has purposed for you to do, God will provide for. So my challenge to you today is to continue to seek his face. Continue to seek his face. Say, God, I really can't do this on my own. God, I don't know what to do, but you do. God, I don't know how to be a good husband right now, but you do, so teach me. God, I don't know how to be a good parent right now, so, so give me wisdom and understanding because you say that if we ask of you, you will give it to us. So yes, look at Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me and hold on to it. Hold on to it with your t-shirt. Hold on to it with your mug. Hold on to it when you, right before you, you know, play a sport or whatever. Hold on to it because it is an ancient truth here. That which God has purposed for you to do today, he will provide for. So brothers and sisters in Christ, let us be up and doing. Let us be up for, for any faith, still achieving, still pursuing, learning to labor and to wait. Let's pray. God, you are indeed gracious and good. You are the one who sees us, the one who hears us, and the one who cares, who knows where we lack, who knows, when we, who knows the things that we're just confused about. <laughs> um, the one who comes alongside, the one who reached out first. And so it is to you, God, that we come because these are uncertain times. We can fill, be filled with anxiety and fear and doubt. But we can hold assured to the promise that you know our purpose, our plan, that your plan. You, you know what you've called us to do today and you will provide the strength and the grace to do it. So just like Paul, when he was in the prison, and he doesn't know what's coming, he says, I can still face this. Because in Christ, I can do anything that God's called me to. And yes, we, we claim it and proclaim it today that in Christ, whatever we're called to today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, 10 years from now, what you have, whatever you have called us to, by your grace, by your strength, by your mercy, we can do. And so we lift you up. We love you, Lord God, because you're the only one who deserves it. You're the one who, who every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you take care of us. We thank you that your promises are sure. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.